Hi, I'm Alan Pompeo, and welcome to Tell Me. On this episode of Tell Me, I'm talking to Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. Lindsay is the editor-in-chief at The Cut. She is also the former editor of Teen Vogue. She was the youngest editor-in-chief of any Condé Nast magazine ever. We had a conversation today about all things pop culture, her journey in publishing and fashion. She's also co-founder of Black and Fashion Council with Sandrine Charles, which is another important initiative. Great conversation today with Lindsay, really insightful. Her journey is really inspiring and not without its uphill climb, which is always valuable for everyone to hear. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks so much for doing this. Of course. Thank you for having me. I look at the cut every single day. I'm not going to tell you how much I watch Grey's Anatomy because you'll be like, you're annoying. <laughs> it's too much. My best friend came over the other weekend and we just sat here and cried and watched so many episodes. It was great. Thank you for saying that. I can talk about Grey's Anatomy all day, but you're probably sick of talking about it. So we can talk <laughs> about something else. Well, wait. Okay, let me ask you a question. What episodes were you watching? What season were you watching? I was watching, it really depends on my mood, but I'm very much into a lot of the episodes now that are before the plane crash, mm -hmm. specifically because that just makes me really go on a whole other cry level. Mm -hmm. And so the episode we were watching was, I was talking about Friday Night Lights. And I was like, have you seen the episode that he's in with the bomb threat? And she was like, no, I've never seen this episode. And I was like, what? You've never seen this episode? Because she watches it a lot as well. So we just sat there and watched that episode and cried. And then we just watched it for hours. But I think specifically... I recently got into it again on specific episodes because she's moving to L.A. soon. And she's always been my person. I just love her so much. And I wouldn't be the person that I am without her today. And I always feel like that was the relationship between Meredith and Christina as well. And so I think that's also why I've been like sentimental in the crying episodes. Oh, you're losing your person. I know. I know. Well, that just means you're going to have to come to L.A. more, Lindsay. Exactly. That is very true. And like now is the perfect time of year to do that because, you know, after Christmas, I feel like the East Coast in New York, like I love it. Thanksgiving, Christmas. And then right after Christmas, it's like, nope, come to L.A. because it's perfect weather here. Yeah, it's terrible here. Do you watch current Grey's Anatomy? I'm so curious. I do. I do. I'm a Shonda stan, though. So like anything that she comes out with, I will watch. I will see what it's about. I don't really love usually even like period pieces or dramas like that. But immediately obsessed with Bridgerton, like, I feel like, yeah, she just has a good eye. I mean, the shows keep going and I'm still really interested. I'm always really sad when they end. And I don't know what that experience is like. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be on a show for so long and dedicate so much of your life. And then it's like, what? Okay, I guess this, maybe the story ends at some point. But it must be such a strange experience. It is. It's a super strange experience. And, and I'm curious to know, because you're a pop culture commentator, 
diva on all things pop culture. So I need to ask you, what are your comments on Grey's Anatomy currently on season 18? I mean, I honestly feel like Grey's has always been ahead of its time at bringing about really nuanced, complicated conversations. I mean, it's one of the most diverse shows on television consistently. So you all were already ahead of the game in that. I think, honestly, people just want to see their real lives, you know, actually shown in a way on television. It's interesting with TV now because I watch so much for work also that it's still one of the shows that I really watch just for me. I'm not watching it just because we're covering something or we're talking to somebody or is this person in also in this movie. And I think it just continues to provide a sense of comfort that you know that you will see some version of yourself or learn something about yourself or think about something deeper than you have in the past. And I think as long as it's bringing about those challenging conversations, which I think it has in so many ways about diversity, about sexuality, about so many things in the world that I think as long as it's doing that, it's doing its job. I mean, I remember so many episodes where I felt like, oh, this is something that other shows yet aren't really talking about, or this is something that other shows really yet aren't focusing on and feeling like you want to see yourself, even though not in the same exact feel or anything like that. But I think even just the daily pressures or the worries or concerns or anxieties, I identify with that so much. And it's encouraging, I think. Yeah, I think our show is always best when we keep it character driven. So you also obviously read a lot of books. Look at all those books behind you. Are <laughs> yes. you a fiction reader, nonfiction? I'm a nonfiction reader. I'll get really into a certain author usually and then go down the deep end. But I, I've been repeating a lot of the same people lately because I just felt like I needed the inspiration and I needed to feel some kind of closeness or intimacy with people that have come before me. So I've been reading a lot, a lot of Toni Morrison and just watching her documentary. I don't know, something about her voice and the way that she makes sentences flow just always makes me in awe of her. And she was one of the last talks that I saw in person with an author. It was like a New Yorker event. And I don't know, her writing has just forever changed my life. So I've been rereading a lot of Toni Morrison. Nice. I can share one of my favorite ones that I have memorized. Do it. It was very short. Do it. I used to have it, like, when we were in an office, I would have this up on my desk. And she wrote this long piece for The New Yorker about work and her family. And they divided it into four stanzas. And the first one is, whatever the work is, do it well, not for the boss, but yourself. Number two, you make the job. It doesn't make you. Number three, your real life is with us, your family. And number four, you are not the work you do. You are the person you are. And I feel like I always need those reminders because my job is also so much part of who I am and my identity and my passions and being able to separate the person that I am from the work that I do and having an identity outside of a title or being connected to certain publications or anything like that and always doing it for yourself. So I always keep that reminder somewhere around me. I love those. Maybe I'm going to write those down and put them in my daughter's room. Those are all so valuable for young girls yeah. to listening. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So obviously you started your career at Teen Vogue. Yes. Can I ask you a fashion question? Yeah. I love the Kardashians. I have absolutely no problem with them whatsoever. This is really just as Black and Fashion Council question. Yeah. Do you have a feeling about Kim on the February cover of Vogue? I think that a lot of where we're at in society right now, and I think specifically, yes, in fashion as well, is that, you know, there's a lot of work that has not been done. There's a lot of things that people have not been held accountable for as far as actually making strides towards inclusivity. And so I do think that at large, when you have these platforms, it can be hard because you want to like move forward with things. But I think also the magazines, yes, are traditionally infrastructurally built upon racism and not being inclusive. And so a lot of times it feels like when you're looking at magazines now, you know, you want some form of reparations of like, oh, we should have done this and we should have done that. And like, we should have fixed this and all of that. And I don't necessarily think that's realistic, but I also totally understand the feeling of it's February, it's Black History Month you want to see a Black person on the cover. I totally identify, agree with that in the sense of that you want to be included. But I think my thing is largely that, I mean, people should just be inclusive all throughout the year. They should not just feel like they get a pass to put a Black person on the cover for February and then the other covers throughout the year are not inclusive. So I think that it's a little bit more complicated than people are discussing 100%. I mean, I think the title of the body issue and having her, I thought was an interesting pairing because, I mean, I think the references in that were Salma Hayek and I believe Marilyn Monroe and obviously the credit for that and a credit for, I think, a lot of things when we talk about bodies and beauty standards should be belonging to Black women. And so I think that actually I had more of an issue with than anything. But I do think that in all of these platforms, you have to be incredibly intentional. Like, who do we give our time to? Who do we say is like worthy of a cover? Who do we say is worthy of a moment? All of that, I think, you have to constantly be interrogating that and being able to listen and understand that, you know, you may not be privy to understanding everyone's point of view, but at least I think hearing it and trying to move forward in a more inclusive way. And I think, you know, fashion in general just has really struggled with being inclusive. It's such an uphill battle and it's not going to be something that is going to be fixed by putting a Black person on the cover. For sure. And I agree with you completely. It's layered because it's like, what does the person on the cover look like? And again, you know, who are we giving credit for body standards? Where is that coming from? And who deserves the credit? These issues are complex and they're layered. And it's not just as simple as that. So thanks for speaking so eloquently about it. We need to be thoughtful and intentional. I agree. You do a great job on the cut. Thank you. Of like covering fun stuff, serious stuff. You know, what's happening in New York City nightlife. It's a really nice balance, I feel. Do you struggle for what stories you want to tell or do you have so many stories that you want to tell? I mean, my mind is constantly running. So it's definitely too many stories, I would say. And I think it's that I want the journey of a reader on the cut to be diverse. Like I want you to find something really enjoyable and funny that you can like send to your friends. But I also want you to find an essay that just makes you think about the world in a different place. And I also want you to find 
something that, you know, gives you joy to shop. Like, I think it's a lot of different things at once, but I think more than anything, I want it to just feel like a community of women and femmes that feels really intimate and vulnerable and honest. Like, I'm not in this industry for any glamour or glitz or whatever. I really am in it because I care probably too much about the stories that we tell, and I want it to be really distinct. And I wanted to feel really close to people because I think that I've spent so much of my life feeling like I wasn't seen, I wasn't heard, there wasn't really a place. And I think, especially with magazines, it often has felt like, well, if you're a fashion magazine, you only talk about this and you can't really cover this sexual assault case. You can't do any reported features. You only have to cover these things. And then, you know, if you work at this publication, you can only do these things and you're not really allowed to have any fun. And I wanted to come back to the cut because I felt like we always just were able to create this really niche lane that was in the middle and it wasn't focused on being aspirational and talking down to women or making them feel like if they didn't have enough money or they didn't have this kind of status or whatever that, you know, they didn't feel good enough. And I also didn't want to be just the very passive magazine of just like, oh, maybe somebody picks it up in the airport. Like maybe you see it, maybe you don't. I really wanted it to feel like I'm approaching women in such a thoughtful way. And I think to do that on a daily basis is just like, My mind is literally a hundred million places. I think that it's the best kind of feeling also because you know that you are making people feel less alone and you're making people understand important things that they should care about that they may not or just bringing light to certain topics. So it's a mix of a hundred million things every day. So can we talk a little bit about your journey and what inspired you? So you're from Wisconsin, correct? Yes. So as a young girl in Wisconsin, did you always know that you wanted to move to the big city and be in publishing and write? Or what was your path to finding your passion? I didn't know it because, I mean, it wasn't something that I saw in anybody. So my first introduction, I would say, I always talk about my grandmother. She was my best friend growing up. She worked in a steel factory, but she was like the most fashionable person I ever met. And she would do the full gloves and hat and stockings, like full look at all times. What was her name? Virgie. Virgie. Speak her name, Virgie. Yes. (laughs) And she would take me to this senior citizens club for Black women. And I would sit there and make rugs and quilts and pillows with them. And they would just talk shit all day and it would be the most hilarious thing. And I would get to sit there and like eat a Snickers bar and I would just make rugs and it was glorious time for sure. But she just encouraged me to be creative. And I think that I learned so much from her because it felt like it didn't matter that all that she had to go through, all that, you know, my ancestors had to go through for me to do whatever I wanted to do. And she really encouraged and instilled in me like, She wanted me to go after whatever I wanted to do, even if it didn't make sense to anyone around me. And so I really just loved it in a sense of I would watch The Hills or like different reality TV shows as I got older. And I was like, this just seems like I could do this, but I don't really think it's possible. And I would, you know, rip out magazines and put them on my walls. And my mom, she'd be like, there's a lot of white women on the wall. Where are the black people in these magazines? And I'm like, mom, you know, we obviously had a subscription to Ebony and Essence, but, you know, all the big fashion designers, they weren't in the Black publications at that time. They weren't giving them, you know, the time of day. And so I would read them and just be like, this just seems like a different world. It's just crazy. And I remember she had a lot of really hard conversations with me in high school about it, where she would say, you know, 
these people, they may not be nice to you. They may not want you there. They may not make you feel welcome. But if you want to do this, you're going to have to really go after it and understand that if you get to do this, you have to change everything for everyone. You're going to have to be a ladder and help other people up. And I didn't really, I was just like, mom, whatever, you're dramatic. I didn't really believe her, but she was right as usual. And I just started interning and trying to figure it out. And through that, I think when people, you know, when people like Google you and they're like, oh, this must have been, I'm like, no, it was absolutely crazy. It was not something that I planned I felt like giving up many, many times. I mean, it is not fun being a Black girl in an industry that doesn't want to talk about racism. And so it has not been like, oh, this was just a joy to go from here to here. And I feel like, I don't know, it's been the craziest fight, but I would do it all over again to honor everyone that done it before me. And it feels like the best thing that I could do with my life to give it some purpose. Uh, Okay, so I'm trying to hold it together a little bit because that was so emotional. Don't cry. Thanks for doing the work. (laughs) You know, I got three brown babies and representation matters so much for them. I have a 12-year-old daughter, a 7-year-old daughter, a 5-year-old son. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let's talk about your first job. Yeah. You obviously were prepared for it to be hard. Your mother told you. You maybe didn't know it would be as hard as it was. Yeah, I think it was mainly that I have this almost surreal connection and feeling and just sense of faith around my family. And I just have the best family in the world, I have to say. And they've been so supportive of me and just made me feel the love of so many people that have struggled before me so that I could do what I really want to do. And so... 
I take it a lot more seriously than a girl who has a trust fund and just is like, I just want to be in fashion and wear cute clothes and I got my dad's credit card kind of thing. It's just a different level of seriousness for me. So you get the job at Teen Vogue. Yeah. And what does that look like? So I had interned there in college. So then I knew some people that worked there. Okay. I didn't get a job right out of school. Like it was a few months after and they were like, okay, we have an assistant level position open in the fashion closet, which is basically where all the clothes are and you organize merchandise by, you know, brand size, color, all of that so that, you know, things can be nice and orderly and where you get everything for all the shoots. I was making $9 an hour. And I remember when I first realized, oh, this is going to be very different. We had to sign time cards because we were freelance. So you didn't have any insurance or anything. So they just paid you every single week on a time card. And our manager had to sign it every single week in order for me to get paid on time. And so I was like running around every Friday, just trying to find my manager. And I was like, why is nobody else ever trying to run around and find her to get paid? I remember just like looking around and I was like, am I the only one asking for her like to sign this? Like nobody else needs their time card signed. And then I went to her and I was like, oh, or is everybody like getting their signed on Thursdays? Like, am I doing something? And she was like, no, they're all rich. They don't need the money. And I was like, oh, got it. I knew it, but it didn't occur to me until there were many specific circumstances that I knew it wasn't just about race. It was very much about class and status and all of that. And I think it was really frustrating starting out in fashion and even just trying to continue and work your way up or stay in it because I would work at Teen Vogue during the day. And then at night, I was always freelancing for another stylist or copywriting or doing something else. On the weekends, I waitressed at a Jewish restaurant for brunch shifts. So I would do Saturday and Sunday brunch. So I was just exhausted from working three jobs. I was barely making ends meet. And also when you work in fashion, you have to look the part and that's what impresses people. That's a talking point in fashion when you when you have a boss and they're able to say like, oh, I recognize that Chanel skirt, blah, blah, blah. Like that's a way for you to build rapport. And so it just felt impossible for a very, very long time because I don't have the things that these people have. I can outwork them. I know that I'm smarter. I know that I have more to bring the table, but I don't have a lot of the privilege that they do have. And I remember so many instances, I was like, this is going to be it because there's certain things I can't get past. I remember one time we were in the closet and somebody came in and was like, oh, there's going to be this big ball event, it's like a paid thing, but a lot of, you know, big PR people will be there. It's like five or $6,000 a plate. And I was like, what? Like, I literally can't pay my rent. Like, I can barely afford to get on the subway. I can't afford to go to some event. And a lot of the girls that I worked with easily went to those things or they would, you know, be able to wine and dine a lot of people. They would be able to wear the full looks of designer stuff. And it felt like, yeah, I mean, I have to wear Gap because I can't afford to compete with you. But I know that I'll outwork you. And so it just felt really, really depressing. I cried so much during that time, which is not funny, but like, it's funny when I think about it now only because I don't even know what was going on in my head to push me further because there was nothing happening where it felt like, oh, maybe this will get better. And I think the industry is still very much this way of it feeling like it's not necessarily dependent upon your work ethic, which I think feels like the deck of cards is stacked against you 
especially when you are a Black woman and you're not sample size and you don't have the money and all of that. It just feels like, well, damn, what am I doing here again? Right. I mean, you have to keep pushing through because there's nowhere else to go, right? You're going to fall back to what? I think all entry-level careers, whether you're acting or singing or a dancer, you kind of have to push through that pain because what else is there? What else are you going to do? I mean, if you have a plan B, I guess you can pivot and go to plan B. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so then you started working your way up in Teen Vogue. So obviously you threw your looks together. (laughs) Not really, no. At that point, I swear to you, I was wearing just like a black turtleneck and black pants. There was no room to even have fun with any fashion stuff because I couldn't afford it. You had your uniform, your chic uniform. Yeah, that was it. I felt incredibly insecure. I felt like I could not compete, but I tried to stay the course. Towards the end of my time there... I just felt like everybody was so focused on clothes for the sake of clothes and not actually having a conversation about style. Style is something that everybody participates in. Right. Whether you think you do or don't, the choices that you make on what to wear and why to wear it and how you feel when you wear certain things is much more interesting to me than just like, let's talk about this fancy coat. And so I was like, you know, I just feel like they're not trying to have this conversation in a way that feels elevated. It just feels really basic to me. I want to start writing. I want to just be around a different set of people. So I went to a magazine called Style.com, which ended up merging with Vogue.com. And I worked there for a couple of years. It was like one of the most formative experiences I had. My boss there, I'm still very close with. Shout out to Rachel Wang. I love her very much. I worked there for probably a couple of years. And it was an interesting experience for me because there was a shopping editor role that was open. So basically like recommending people like what to buy, et cetera. And I was like still extremely broke. I had no insurance. I mean, every day I was like, should I just go back to Wisconsin? This is getting a little insane. And I remember I went out for this shopping editor job and I didn't get it. And I called my boss and I was like, you know, I've been working here for a while. I work hard. What is going on? And she's like, honestly, I think that you're meant to do more than this. I don't think that you should just be writing 
shopping stuff. I think that you should be doing bigger editorials, bigger stories. And I think if you take this job, you're going to be stuck and you're just going to do it because it pays you well and you'll have insurance and be able to quit your other jobs instead of actually going after the work that you should be doing. And I think that was my first time in understanding that, you know, a mentor can be somebody obviously who can connect you with people and essentially say yes and kind of help you. But a mentor can also be somebody who says no and says this isn't the right thing. And so when she gave me that no, I was like, this sucks. I can't believe this. I've been working so hard. But I decided to say, you know, I want to be mentored by you. If you see something bigger in me, then I trust you. And she was the person that actually told me about working at The Cut when I worked at The Cut the first time, when I became an editor. I worked under her probably another eight months. And then she came to me one day and was like, there's a perfect job for you. It's at New York Magazine and it's not posted. I heard about it and I know that you're perfect for it. I'm going to talk to them today. And she's the reason why I even ended up at The Cut the first time. So it was a really weird twist of fate. Okay, so then you leave The Cut and you start the Black Fashion Council. Well, I was working at The Cut for a few years as an editor. Then I left to be editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. It's actually quite confusing because I worked at both places and then came back as editor-in-chief. Okay. Okay. I'm not crazy. Okay. (laughs) But this is also what's amazing. You know, you never leave a place. You never burn a bridge, right? This is why relationships and emotional intelligence is so important in a journey. Yeah. You really always leave the door open because you've been able to ascend the ladder of your path But you've done it by way of returning to places that you started at, didn't have a great experience, knew there was more out there for you, but ended up going back there anyway. I don't know that that necessarily happens often to people, but it's just a testament to your emotional intelligence and your optimism to keep the doors open and always revisit things because you were able to go back in a different capacity and a higher capacity. Yeah. I mean, I interned at Teen Vogue. I worked at Teen Vogue out of school, and then I came back as editor-in-chief. So to be able to have that full circle moment was really beautiful, but it was also really important to me because I knew that young women of color would be watching. I knew that they needed to be heard in a way that they hadn't. And it felt like such an honor to be able to do that. And I think especially, you know, starting out in the industry and feeling like these people don't get it. They don't really actually care. They'll never understand what it's like to be a Black girl in this body. And then to be able to make a lot of changes and to be able to use the platform in a different way. I mean, it was coolest thing by far. And and this time as well with The Cut. I mean, I worked at The Cut a few years ago as an editor and then now to come back as an editor-in-chief. It's only weird to talk about because I never even thought that a Black woman would become an editor-in-chief at publications. It didn't come across my mind because I didn't ever want to get my hopes up. I didn't ever want to psych myself out. In all of my old journals, I've written down, I just want to be a fashion director by the time I'm 35. I didn't ever write down, oh, maybe one day I'll be an editor-in-chief or maybe one day I'll run a publication. And it makes me sad that I never even wanted to dream about it because I just didn't think it was possible. And it feels just so strange in that way, but everything that I can ever do to make Black girls feel part of this, I will always do and will suffer through it no matter what it takes because I think that just being able to use a platform in that way 
it really changes things and it changes the trajectory of people's lives. I definitely think Virgie is up there looking down on you with the biggest smile on her face. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Well, listen, you're definitely making a serious impact. Thank you. The Cut is such an amazing example of all kinds of journalism, of pop culture journalism, of women's stories. If anyone hasn't seen it, please go to it. It's the most fun thing with your coffee in the morning. <laughs> It is fun. Okay, so now you're editor-in-chief of The Cut. Yeah. What's next? Or do you have an agenda for what you want to do with this role? Or where are you personally, if you can say, where are you at in your mind? And have you celebrated yourself for your journey? Oh, no. No, I definitely have not done that, which I definitely should have. But I don't know. I think I've been so caught up in doing the work. And I also think... I don't know, when you take on these roles, I'm fully aware that there are a ton of people that are rooting for me and really happy for me, but I feel very viscerally the people that are wanting me to fail at the same time. And so I don't think that I've really, I mean, I probably could have made the time, but I feel like I haven't because I'm so focused on being the best in this that I can. And I, yeah, I don't want to let any other Black woman down. I want them to really feel like they could do this, that they could do it better than me, that they could do it tomorrow. Like, I think about that more so than anything. I don't know. I just think I haven't even had the space probably to do that because it just feels like there's so much less room for error when you're one of the few or you're one of the only people doing something that you just don't want to do anything to mess it up. And I will say, I definitely probably haven't found the best balance of turning my brain off or my own personal time and all of that because I want to do it right. But right now, my focus is to fire on all cylinders. Like I have a vision of so many things that I want us to do. I'm really proud of a lot of the stories that we've come out with. I'm really proud of our print issues. We were able to get Naomi the Great for our last September issue, an amazing cover of Simone Biles last year that just moved me. I just did a recent issue around uh, Trayvon Martin being 10 years in Black Lives Matter the past decade. We just did a fashion issue cover with the Euphoria women. And so it's a lot of different things. And I just, I don't know, I'm probably worried about being too responsible and worried about doing it right too much. But I never want to take it for granted. And I'm really grateful that God thought higher of me than I did myself. And so I'm just trying to take that in stride, honestly. They always ask me like, oh, if you had kids, would you want them to be in fashion? And I'm always like, mm, no. Do you also feel that way with acting? Like if one of your children came to you and was like, I really want to do this. You know, I would never say no, but I think there's an age. I would never let my daughters or my son start too early, probably maybe 16 or 18, if they really, really wanted to. And then if you have children in that, you can't leave their side for a second. You know, you have to be a complete stage mom or dad, and you have to stay with them every minute. The little girl who plays my daughter on Grey's is a fantastic little girl. She's so smart. And her mom is literally right there, right off stage every second of every day that she films. And she's watching over her like a hawk. That girl is never going to be in any situation where her mother doesn't know exactly what's happening. And I think that's the way to do it. If my children really wanted to go into it, I would just set those parameters. You can practice and study. And then when you're 16 or 18, 
and you want to try it professionally, see how it goes. If you can handle the criticism, can you handle heartbreak day after day? Yeah. So if you can't handle heartbreak, then, you know, maybe you should rethink it. But I would definitely be the most annoying person, the most annoying mother ever, <laughs> and just be beside them every step of the way. I love that, though. Yeah, I mean, with kids, it's like you have to let them kind of do what they want, but just make sure you're watching them. Because if you fight too hard against something, then they're going to want to do it even more. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I am so happy that we got to meet in person. We're not really in person, but we're kind of in person because I can see your gorgeous face. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing. And I love hearing your story about your journey. And I know it's really impactful and it's going to help so many young people because there's something in all of these conversations so young people can hear other people's experiences and get some wisdom from it. Just be inspired. So your time has been so valuable to me. I really appreciate it, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much. This is so surreal. I'm so glad to meet you and such a huge fan. So thank you so much. Maybe we will get to meet in person one day. We'll have to go out when I come to New York or if you come here to visit your friend. I would love that. Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 